welcome to episode 67 of Special Parents Confidential. I'm John Pellegrini. This episode could probably be called Parent Story Number 4, but I've chosen to call it When the Nightmare Happens, because this is the kind of parent story you don't want to happen. Carrie Salazar is a person that my wife Sarah and I met here in Grand Rapids. She's a widow, and her son Alexei is nonverbal autistic. And like many people, she has a blog where she writes about her life and her son's challenges. Well, this past November, Kiri shared a story about an incident with her son that was about as frightening and stressful as it can get. Fortunately, as you will hear, the incident eventually turned out fairly well. But I felt it should be shared, which is why I invited her to be on this episode, and she agreed to do it. I should warn you that Kiri's story is difficult to listen to, but her hope is that by sharing it, she can perhaps help other families who may be faced with a similar situation. Our greater hope is that some officials in government who are in a position to do something about the challenges that we're talking about can help remedy those situations by coming up with ways to provide better support to families. We started off with me asking how hard it is to describe the day-to-day routine of her life as a single mother with a 14-year-old nonverbal autistic son. Well, it's not hard to describe, but it can be hard to understand. Okay. Um, I, I will have to say... I prepared this a little bit. Um, I, I once heard a saying to describe war. It's months of boredom punctuated by moments of terror. Right. And it's a lot like that with parenting a special needs child. Mm. But I would change the ratio somewhat to say you have to expect terror all the time. Oh, geez. Yeah, you can never let your guard down. Mm-hmm. Um, just as soon as you get used to something your child does or a planned behavior, an expectation, it changes. Okay. Uh, So like when there is a crisis or something like that, then you obviously just got to be ready for it. And it's uh, it's a lot of work 24 hours a day, basically. Yeah. Granted, that's not difficult from or different from the definition of parenting. in (laughs) It is the degree, the intensity and the repetitiveness of the surprising things your child can come up with that is. Ah, challenging. Right. And of course, because he's nonverbal, he can't communicate with you at all, practically. His reasons are are beyond definition. You you don't understand why he's turning the refrigerator off mm-hmm. or why he's turning the air and conditioning on in winter. There's there must be a reason. But, you, but you're you're in the dark. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. Literally. <laughs> so, well, one of the challenges of autistic children, of course, is they're very curious and they often wander off on their own without any warning or as it's sometimes is sometimes called their escape artists, which make it makes it sound a lot cuter than it really is because it's actually terrifying. I can imagine because trying to figure out where they are. Yeah, it's it's got to be horribly frightening. Yes, it is. Thank you for noticing. <laughs> uh it, Believe it or not, you can actually become accustomed to terror. Mm. I've gotten a bit better with 911 calls over the time. Mm. My son has escaped from sitters, schools, from his home. He escaped me once when we were out in public because I had to use the restroom. Mm. Now, I pee in 60 seconds or less if I have to. And he still got away from me, broke into the home of a house we passed on our walk, uh, and before I could track him using the tracking device I had, the police were already there. Oh, man. Yeah. That's crazy. And back he was smaller. I just will say he was smaller, and the homeowners were very understanding about the situation. Right. And uh, that leads me to now the incident that you wrote about in your blog. The article was titled, With Prejudice. So Alexei escaped recently this past summer, wound up in a neighbor's home. Can you talk us through exactly what happened that day? It's, it's hard. 
So mm. bear with me. Okay. Um, I was sick with salmonella poisoning. Yeah. I hadn't slept for almost a week, and my son was not sleeping because that's one of his problem behaviors. He's an insomniac. Mm-hmm. Um, I woke. I was woken by pounding at the door. I was delirious, dehydrated, and disoriented, and I opened the door wearing nothing but my pajama shirt and undies. I barely understood there was a policeman standing there, and I ran turning to check to see where Alexei was, and the police officer called me back and explained that Alexei had broken into the home of a neighbor and that I needed to come outside. Mm. So I went, threw on some clothes. Uh, I went outside in bare feet to find that my son was in a police car in handcuffs. Oh, geez. I could hear him crying all the way from my front porch. Yikes. Yeah. I, I was still sick, and when the police officer spoke with someone back at the department, to ask what to do with my son, I had to run back in the house a couple of times because of the illness. And <laughs> it would be funny if the situation wasn't so awful. Oh, man. So uh, what uh, what happened after that then? Just uh... Well, there was a lot of waiting. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the, uh, the problems with being a person who's addicted to watching CSI and Law and Order is you have this expectation that everything gets resolved in an hour. Well, in real life, that's not what happens. You wait for weeks for a letter to find out whether the charges will be pressed or dropped. Um, You get a notification that you are to appear in court. You go to meet with a court representative. Uh, I am not quite sure what her term was, her her title, but uh, Mm. she was very kind um, and explained the situation, gave me a lovely pamphlet. I have it over here because I can never remember the name of it. Mm. It is A Parent's Guide to Juvenile Probation. Oh, geez. A fun read, um, but it it was sort of weirdly one of the more reassuring things about finding out that my parenting wasn't as bad as I sometimes thought it was. Yeah. Uh, because one of the things that the um, person who gave me this document said is she says, well, you showed up. Most of the times when kids get to the point where they're under arrest and in the court system, a lot of parents have given up and, and don't even try to help their child. So mm. I, I, I felt, I don't know, a certain sense of, well, at least I show up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yay, parenting. Um, but wow. it, was, it was pretty sad. It was pretty sad to imagine other families in that situation without somewhat of the benefit of knowledge that most likely this would go away, but it was six long months of waiting to find out that answer. Hmm. Wow. Now, uh, going back to the day, obviously, um, the neighbors who had called the police to find your son in the house, they were obviously frightened and upset with the situation. Have you been able to talk to them since and hopefully come to a better understanding of what's happened? Well, um, we talked to them on the day it happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was an exchange that it, it wasn't necessarily a group of people talking to each other. We right. were both explaining our positions, and it can be very hard for people from opposite viewpoints to meet in the middle of an issue. They said they acted the way they did because they wanted to feel safe. I said I was trying my best to keep my child in my home with me as long as I could manage it. And while they probably understood my position on some level, they didn't drop the charges against him. Mm. 
Boy, that's rough. It it was it was one of those things. I was afraid to push it. I was afraid to go over there and try and talk to them to ask them to drop the charges. I was afraid it would cause the situation to become worse or that it might affect the outcome of the case. Um, they met Alex a before that day. You know, one of those friendly hi. This is my son. If you ever see him out by himself, um, that would be you know it would be great if you could let me know. Mm. You know, it's just a passing exchange, but. They were asleep when Alexei entered the home. All they heard was an intruder. Right. They didn't know it was him. The police initially didn't know it was my son. So. And, of course, he can't talk to explain himself. No, and he can't respond naturally, you know, to any instructions that the police give. I don't know if anyone out there has experience with autistic children or the community, but nonverbal children it's not just that they can't speak, it's they often can't process direct commands or instructions or requests for information. They may not act like they can hear you at all, which probably is not a good thing if you're a police officer entering an unknown situation and are confronted with with what they met. Right. Right, because he's 14, but he he's much bigger. You know, he's like most teenagers. He's grown a lot. Uh, he looks like a young adult, and you can't really know what's going on. Well, that's true. Um, I got the police report from the Granville Police Department and read through the information of how he was apprehended and handled, and, and that's probably the hardest thing I've ever had to read. I can imagine um, it was it was really stark. My son was described as an 18-year-old, mm. approximately 18 years of age, um, because my son is so tall and so big. He was taller than some of the police who arrested him. Right. right. And, and I think he appears to be more of a threat now than he did when he was cute and little and and. His actions could be interpreted as adorable and confused versus threatening and and invasive. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's hard to know what anyone would do in that kind of situation. But uh, it's it's and like you said, you know, one of the comments that I write on your blog is how unfortunate the system can't seem to make helpful changes until after some kind of a crisis occurs, you know, Um if you could change things yourself to make these agencies become more proactive instead of reactive only to a crisis, what would you want them to understand? Oh, there, there would be volumes, um, <laughs> what, what I would tell them. Uh, the fact is, though, change is slow, glacially slow when it comes to improvement. Hmm. The government is much faster at dismantling programs that are intended to help families than it is at building them. Right. What I'd really like for people who create the barriers that would help families like mine is to have them walk around in our shoes for a while. Mm-hmm. What I'd really like is for the people who create the barriers that would help families like mine is to have them walk around in our shoes for a while. If you want to understand the stress autistic families live with, imagine walking around holding a scalding cup of tea. You can never put that cup down. You can't give it to anyone else to hold. And it is always 180 degrees and filled to the brim. As long as you tip around, tiptoe around and do everything you can to keep it safe, your day might go okay. And that's about as good as it gets. Oh, yay, I didn't drop the cup today. 
And then you have to get up and do it all over again the next day and the next. After about a month of this, I would want those people to decide whether they they want to help support subsidies to help families with respite and other services. And if not, I'd give them another cup of tea. Mm-hmm. Yep. Keep burning yourself until you get it. <laughs> well, you know. yeah. It, I don't want anyone else to misinterpret that, that having autistic children doesn't mean you have quality of life. There are quality moments, but you're always on guard for the next thing to go wrong. Mm-hmm. You can never let your guard down. Right. And that's the thing, you know, it's it's a lack of empathy that uh, a lot of people not only don't have, but it seems like we're losing even what empathy we had in society uh, more and more now. Well, on that note, as I'm always going to be an argumentative cuss, <laughs> uh, is, is the fact that I do find empathy many places we go. There are often people who will stop us and say, is your son autistic? I know so-and-so, or I have a friend with a child with autism. And I get a lot of encouragement from people on there. There are many instances in which my son has escaped and the police have helped to find him or have, I've been called by families in the neighborhood. When we first moved here and he was still little, he really had this one corner of the of the community he loved to go to. And he got out one night when I wasn't aware, oblivious as always, and uh, I got a call. Uh, So I always have to take every phone call I get. It doesn't matter if I know my son is in school. I had a neighbor call the other day telling me I saw someone wearing a yellow jacket like Alex is walking. I said, well, he should be at school. But I called the school just to make sure because it wasn't beyond the realm of possibility that my son had gotten out. Fortunately, it it turned out to be uh, a false alarm. He was at school. He was fine. But I never assume that he's safe. Right. Right. And that's uh, that's such a nerve wracking thing because there there isn't any break for you except uh, on the rare occasion. Not not unless I can send him to a facility that's qualified and will take him and has one-to-one aids. No. And even then, if his behavior is ratchet, if he has a really bad day for some reason and gets aggressive, then they can send him home. So even when I get my breaks, quote-unquote breaks, I spend a lot of the time in a nervous anxiety hoping I don't get a call. Right. Right. That's got to be difficult. So with some time and perspective on the situation that happened in the arrest of this last summer, how are things with you and Alexei as far as uh, uh, the aftermath and all that? Well, I am happy to say that we instituted some changes. By we, I'm using the royal we. (laughs) We... Uh, I called Vivint. Um, Vivint is a program of home security that they have a special program that provides discounted rates to families with special needs. It's Vivint Gives Back. And you go through a special email to contact them asking them about their programs. Now, you have to wait for a reply. And it's it's If you go through, just say, the regular Vivint operators, they're just going to try and sell you the most expensive package they can. I did get a call back from one of the people who works for Vivint Gives Back, and he helped me. And and that 
made a huge difference. I can now go to a different room in the house with all the alarms set on the doors and windows because my son has climbed out of a bedroom window (laughs) to escape. So I had to have bars installed, which is a safety hazard, obviously, but uh, not as great as the hazard of how quickly he can get into trouble. Even alarm can't wake me before he's out and gone. Right. So the bars were necessary because he did climb out a window one morning. Um, And fortunately, he was just walking the streets, taking his blankets, taking his crayons and and it's it's kind of comical to see this giant walking like Linus dragging a blanket behind him. Yes. Um, it's funny. He's never even seen a Peanuts car- cartoon strip, but it's kind of what he reminds me of. Hmm. Have you uh, have you heard it all from the police officers that were involved in the incident since the arrest? Not exactly. Uh, once I received the paperwork that indicated Alexei's trial was dismissed. Um, I contacted the police to see about getting my son's possessions back. He was, he was arrested carrying his standard, you know, kit, mm-hmm. probably had to be the most innocuous kit they've ever, you know, logged into the police, uh, whatever you call that when they take, I watch hours and hours of law and order. You would think I could remember the term for that. <laughs> evidence. The evidence. Thank you. The evidence. <laughs> so when I go to pick it up. They they bring out this giant paper bag like you'd see at a grocery store, mm-hmm. and and they had me signed for it. And there were his crayons and squares of paper and flashlight and a stop white stopwatch timer, um, his blanket and one shoe. It was like Cinderella. They had one shoe and we had the other, mm. but sadly no prints showed up to bring it back. We had to go. Um, requisition it. And, and honestly, it was odd because the police couldn't immediately release it. They had to check with the prosecuting attorney to get authorization first. Can you imagine how odd that was for them? No kidding. We'd like to release these crayons into the possession of the parent. Would that be acceptable with you? <laughs> I, I'm sure it was it was an easy no-brainer, but it, it's still, it, it it's a waste of police manpower and time for no something... Kidding. Something as silly as crayons and paper. Mm. But you have to go through the the hoops. Right. Of the justice system. Boy, oh boy. Oh, Uh, but I was going to tell you one thing that um, I did that I would recommend to families. Uh, I don't know whether it's going to make a difference, but it makes you feel like you're doing something. mm. I I made up some flyers um, with Alexei's curriculum vitae, as it were, you know, his height, weight, and, and all of his characteristics, our phone number. I also got these little magnets made up um, through one of those online, you know, the kind of place where you get your Christmas cards printed out by the thousands to send to your closest friends and relatives. Right. But um, it had his vi- basic vital statistics, a picture, and my phone number. And it, if, if seen walking alone, please contact, at, you know, and then my number is following it. Mm-hmm. So I we handed those out at Halloween. Oh. <laughs> Strangest Halloween gift ever. Yeah. Uh, with candy, because we didn't want people getting mad. Wow. So that we sent the same information to the police department and the fire department so that hopefully they'll at least have seen my child's face once. And that's one child with autism that they've met um, at least at a distance. And I'd like to think that they'll recognize us when we're going through the community. 
Yeah. You know, it's 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 difficult when uh, there's been so many budget cuts to law enforcement and other government programs that, you know, they can't even take a moment to come around and meet you and meet Alexei under other circumstances and try to gain a better uh, understanding of what's going on. But it's just it's like they're deliberately going out of their way to uh, not deal with things until they have to. And I know it's not necessarily their idea either. It's just the way things are. I will say I think parents are going to have to be proactive. Um, I kind of wish I was a little more insistent. You know, hi, how are you? This is my son. Let's have a rundown at one morning. I bring him by, and everybody eyeballs him. But I've I've never been that strangely enough that in your face. Um, I I wish that there were simple answers that could make the situations like this clear and easy to solve. Mm-hmm. I've had some crazy ideas. I've thought of writing in Sharpie marker on my kid's forehead, <laughs> autism. Yeah. Um, or to dress him in all autistic clothing with the you know words running up and down the sleeves, the front, his pants. Um, so if anyone out there is interested in developing a clothing line for autistic families <laughs> with bright markers indicating the special needs in question, that would be appreciated. Mm. But but a more serious note is I wish that the police had programs to track and identify the special needs individuals in the community. Mm. I wish my son could wear um, a device that he couldn't remove. We've tried devices in the past that were tracking on our end. But he found ways around them. He he chewed through a leather band once. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the same tracking devices that, you know, they use for following convicts who are on release programs. They had a working tracker for kids with autism, and my son broke through it with a screwdriver. Oh, wow. So, but but it, instead of something that we would use or the police would use to track him, that it would just send a signal that would pick up on the police scanners that would say, warning, you are approaching an autistic person. Please act with caution and lure him home with promises of bacon and crayons. Right. You know, just something that would give them an idea they're working with a special needs individual. I, I know that's sort of out of the box and like maybe out of the universe thinking, but there's got to be an app for that at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, we would hope so. I mean, and I know you mentioned this in the blog, and this is the hardest part to deal with, is this is a nightmare situation because it could have gone so horribly worse. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. I spent a lot of hours revisiting, reimagining, um, and, and as it is, reading the police report that describes your son's takedown mm-hmm. as a somewhat violent encounter was was hard enough. Just that. Mm-hmm. It, 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 I'm almost speechless. Yeah. Yeah. It takes and, and it's how many months later, it's, you know, too, and you're still, it's like it's fresh in the memory. And well, it's, it's, it's never going to go away. Yeah. It's, it's always a fear. Just because this incident resolved and this incident ended about as happily as you could hope right. doesn't mean there's not going to be another incident. Um, I am very concerned because this is a gun rights-based country, mm. and I have strong concerns that I understand families feel they have the right to protect themselves, and my son did enter a 
place he did not belong. He did commit an act that is illegal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I absolutely could imagine the worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. a daily fear and never goes away. Right. And that's uh, unfortunate. You know, it, there's no real positive takeaway other than this time it was all right, but who knows? And, you know. Yeah, this isn't the Disney version. No. Everything doesn't end happily. It's like, okay, the terrorist is stopped for today. Hmm. Just so for the, now. Yeah, for now. Yeah. Uh, and I know, you know, as we're talking here about this, um, you know, we've we've talked about law enforcement. We've talked about everything, you know, and yet we can't, there isn't going to be any kind of a real solution to this. But if, um, if, if parents are listening to this and what could they learn from this experience and if, what could help them if this happens to their kids, uh, do you have any, anything that could help her or, uh, well, uh, I'd like to say, yes, this is what you can do, but there isn't a whole lot you can do once an incident has occur- occurred. Mm-hmm. My emphasis would be on prevention, if possible. Be aware that your child, as they get older, are going to get larger. Their behaviors might be the same behaviors they had at five or six, but now they're more alarming. They will be perceived as a threat once they are adult-sized. Don't wait to install an alarm. I went through the Vivint security, and I wish I'd done it a year before. As he consistently managed to outwit every measure we put in place. Um, and he figured out that if mommy's asleep, that's the time to break out. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why I didn't think of that earlier. I wish I could go back and inform myself a year ago, get the alarm on, get a window, you know, bars up. Right. Yeah, it's a little bit like living in a prison, but you don't want to actually end up there. So uh, I would say circumvent prevent and if the worst happens and your child escapes you i hope you get good counsel you know get an attorney we were assigned a public defender um mark van sluten and he was very conscientious about filing the documents to request a competency hearing and he submitted the results to get the charges dismissed i it, it it was almost matter of fact for him but it was completely painstakingly terrifying for me the Mm. the waiting the getting the notices the stomach churning anxiety whenever a court date approached um i would say patience um and if you do go to court appearances um it can be very hard for an autistic child to sit and wait and follow these directions so where possible you can ask for accommodations um once they met alex a it even the person who initially did our intake um, again not great with with titles, but sort of the court representative we met with, mm-hmm. she said that well I can tell that he is significantly impaired that he is probably going to qualify for the um, dismissal based on competency but we have to go through all of these hoops you have to jump through the court system's hoops in order to get to that quote-unquote happy ending but but expect it to take a very very long time um i will say this that they were very kind 
at the court. I was I was astounded at how nicely they treated us. Um, I I often confessed my fears, my concerns about what would happen to Alexei, and they would try and reassure me. But no one could ever explicitly say, "Don't worry, this will go away." They couldn't legally say that because they couldn't make that determination. You had to have a uh, a psychiatrist review my child, and this was the astounding thing. There is a set list of questions that they have to go through in order to determine competency. Oral questions. They mm. couldn't even have Alexei write an answer if my son could write. He can't, but if he were able to, apparently these responses have to be verbal in some form. So it was very surreal to go through the the formulaic question and answer process that, that was required that my son couldn't answer a single question on. I explained that he has echolalia. He will tend to reply to whatever the last word is. So if they asked him a question, um, do you understand why you're here? He might say, here. Oh boy. <laughs> do you understand um, and can you represent your point of view while in court? And he'd say, court. So it... it even the process of identifying how limited my son's communication skills are and, you know, potentially his cognitive skills, they couldn't measure him. The, the report that was given in by the psychiatrist said that, that she was unable to complete the entire study, that she couldn't get answers to the questions, but that based on her, you know, years of experience and the limited, you know, functionality of the conversations we had, she de de determined that he was not competent to stand trial, which is which is a great outcome, but it is a really hard thing to watch, mm -hmm. you know, and, and recognize how limited your child is. Even in the eyes of the law, they couldn't determine how non-functional he was because he didn't pass any of their tests. Jeez. You know, it seems to me like a lot of this stuff is at least 30 to 40 years behind the uh, the rest of the uh, public and the uh, world as far as identifying and working with nonverbal autistics. And you'd think, would, yeah, it is <laughs> definitely not built for my square peg in their round hole. No. And you would think that they would have done something about this by now, but it, you know, the, the politics involved, I'm sure, is an entirely different subject uh, for a completely other podcast, but it must be just uh, so frustrating to watch them use this completely incorrect assessment for yeah. what he's capable of. And it, it, I imagine that the person who did the interview, the doctor, was very... Um, again, very reassuring, very kind, saying, look, uh, she couldn't reassure me that the court would immediately dismiss the charges, but she said they've never questioned my judgment. In all the years I've presented my findings, they've taken my evaluation um, as as law, mm. so to speak. I'm paraphrasing. Um, but I I would have to say... I hope if this happens to anyone else, they get as good an outcome as we did. Mm -hmm. um, the people at all the services and agencies that we spoke to were kind, considerate, thoughtful, and understanding. I, I can be somewhat heartened by that now 
even as I was completely an anxious and nervous wreck the entire time I was undergoing the process. Um, so if you have to have your child dragged through the public court system, there is a human side to it, even as the system fails to accommodate. And, you know, you wish that they could magically say, oh, he's special. Obviously, this doesn't apply to him. Let's just pass him on along and let him go back to his life. They can't do that mm -hmm. uh, until someone changes the requirements. They're going to have to jump through these pointless hoops every single time. And I would imagine there are tax dollars related to that useless function that could be better served. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've, you know, and we've had uh, this discussion in other podcasts with other guests that I've had on this, you know, the amount of money that is spent on law enforcement, on incarceration, investigation and prosecution could be it's it's like 10 times what it would cost just to provide services that would yeah. prevent this sort of thing from happening in the first place. Well, I, I would say it's probably not possible to entirely prevent these things. Mm. Kids are, are quite fluid and capable and <laughs> devious and wily monkeys. They just get away from you. Yeah. But but yeah, if if and when these circumstances arise and you can recognize the situation in advance would be ideal. You know, I did get a bunch of services, but I had been working for those services for over a year. It was only when I underwent this meltdown crisis mode, um, and and to be blunt about it, it, it is a very exhausting process being in a autistic family. Just the whole family is affected by it. So that's the phrase I'll use, even if some people may object to it. Um, your whole world is skewed to what adapts to the autistic needs, and it is a very difficult weight to bear sometimes. Mm. And if you bear it alone, like I do, because it's very hard for anyone else to manage my child, even it's, it's hard for me to manage him sometimes. Um, the, bringing this to a crisis point helped to, I think, move my petition and request for an ABA aid, a CLS aid to a higher level. But... Mm. There are a lot of people who are in crisis mode on any given day. It's it's not just this circumstance. You know, families are just strained everywhere, and the numbers are growing. There are a lot of families, and not a lot of resources. And if you cannot get the resources you need, you're just kind of left, oh well, hanging in the wind. Right. Right. And then you've been fortunate in that you've been able to take time off and get to where you need to be to go to all these appointments and all that. I can imagine there must be lots of families out there, though, who, because of their schedules, because of their employment, because of the way things are, they can't. And as you say, you know, you go to the court system uh, in juvenile court and uh, it's um, it's amazing how many kids go through that system and there's no one there for them at all. I, I can only imagine how heartbreaking it is, but I will say this: um, when I wrote what I did, I had I had concerns about presenting my views of what happened. Um, you know, anytime you go out on the internet, mm -hmm. you open yourself up to a, a world of possibilities, and some of them include hurtful things. Right. Um, but I will say a couple other families 
private messaged me in response and told me about their situations and their stories. And I had no idea. Now, not everybody was as close as, you know, a bosom buddy, but um, everybody in the autistic community where you live tends to have a cluster, a group. We, we connect on Facebook. We have family groups. You connect in the community. And even while you may only know each other in passing, um, they cluster together. They, you, you get this sense of community, at least digitally speaking, that understands. And to have other people say that they appreciated hearing what I had to say because they went through a similar situation was, was helpful. It was helpful to know I wasn't alone. And it was nice that I could share my story and my son's story in hopes that other people who may be facing similar situations won't be as terrified and maybe it would help to prevent these things from ever happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In um, a perfect world. Yeah. Or at least not even in a perfect world, just in a world that could improve a little. Cause that, that's what's, you know, what's needed is just, um, some improvements to the system. It's obviously never going to be perfect. Like you say, but, uh, just for a little more empathy, perhaps on the part of, <laughs> the law enforcement community, and uh, people in general. I I will say this. I don't know that the police have much um, control in terms of if a family wants to press charges, they probably have to do their job. Right. Um, I wish I'd had a little more courage to go confront the family and say, look, the likely outcome of this is that he will just come home with me after six months of anxious waiting and panic attacks. Um, and crying jags. There was there was a lot of emotionality for the past six months. And it's, you know, I'd really like to, to avoid that. Is there any way you can drop the charges? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I didn't do that because I was afraid it would make things worse. So I don't know, a community liaison person who could go in these situations, you know, representative of the court. Hi, uh, we understand that you were very frightened by the experience, but this is the likely outcome. There are no places to take children like my son. There are very few resources to help these families. So maybe you could make their lives easier instead of harder. Mm. Um, I, I understand people get frightened and it's hard to understand it from, you know, my side of the fence. But if you have children of any sort or you're connected with people with children, ask them how hard it is to have a regular life with regular children. And now imagine adding the difficulties that autism bring can bring mm. to to that scenario and maybe you can find a smidge of empathy for us in inside your fear right right and i think uh that's the best anyone can hope for it's just you know try to think of it from somebody else's perspective because <laughs> i i imagine you know i it just when I read your article, I thought, oh, my God, you know, what would I do under those kinds of situations, too? It's just you'd second guess yourself a lot. You yeah. would second guess every decision you'd ever made and you'd call up your parenting into question. And as it turns out that other people will call your parenting into question. Oh, yeah. We yeah. had the CPS called on us, which I, for some reason, didn't expect. Hmm. I I didn't know that that might be a consequence and they showed up like they do on television with no warning and I was in the basement working and my son was down there with me so it was quite a surprise 
but they were very kind. I, I have to say, if you ever go through the CPS and have people called in to evaluate you as a parent and that you manage to get through all of the questions and and come out of the other side with, yeah, you could be a much worse parent. That's slightly reaffirming. <laughs> wow. That's the best you can hope for, I guess, huh? <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it was a, a surprisingly simple process because of the circumstances. I, I think if the charges had been something more serious about my lack of parental involvement, then, then it would not have been a laughing matter. Mm. And at the time, it was it was just one more, oh, good, now I get to go through this, as well as try and protecting my son from the criminal court system. Not, huh. not a fun summer. No. no. Not at all. Wow. Well, all we can do is hope that this, uh, unfortunately, uh, does not occur again, or at least if it does, uh, even a less apprehensive outcome. Let's hope, let's hope for the former. Yeah. I really don't want to ever go through this again. Right. Um, and I, I don't recommend it for anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can avoid oh, all of this, do. <laughs> and if you can't, do the best you can. Right. Well, and I think on that note, I think we've got everything that we can. Um, was there anything else that you wanted to add in there? <laughs> How much time have you got? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> How much time do you want to take? I mean, we're fine. Uh, no, I'm, I'm exaggerating. I, I think to make a point is that there's always more you can discuss just on the, the you know, the basis of how much you care about your family and your children, or in my case, child. I I do want to say that I don't want anyone to think I don't love my son. I'd like to think that that shows through even when I'm frustrated and anxious and concerned is that what underscores all of those perceptions is that I love my child and I want him to be safe. And I want him to have a good life. But sometimes I need help to make that happen. And I really appreciate the people who have been there who made a difference in helping me uh, get through this. And if anyone has family with special needs, just try and step up and be there for them when they need you. That's the best that anyone can hope for. Mm. That's great. Yeah, because it's it's really... You know, until you are there, you have no idea. It's a 24-hour, sometimes 28-hour-a-day job <laughs> without a break. Even when you have a break, you don't have a break. Well, and again, that's not an uncommon definition of parenting. Mm-hmm. You are 24-7, open every hour of the day, uh, service station. You fulfill every need if they get sick, if they get hurt, and if... Uh, if they get arrested, you are the one who has to be there and go to bat for them. Um, it, it's often compared to that situation where you're on a plane and when the oxygen mask drop down, you're supposed to put it over your face first. But honestly, I don't know many parents that wouldn't put it on their kid first. Mm-hmm. I just I just think that the natural instinct is always going to be what can I do to make their life better, easier. Um, 
And that's the definition of a good parent, I think, someone who's always trying to think of that. Now, I'm not saying that I'm the definition of a good parent, far be it, you know, for me to toot my own horn or anything, but I think that that's the goal that every parent strives for. Mm-hmm. For better or worse, and whatever, you know, failures that, that we may have, we want what's best for our kids, even if we can't always provide it. Right. Right. All right. Well, thank you so much for uh, sharing your story, Carrie, and hopefully, um, hopefully, uh, something happens and we get some peace for a while. Well, a day by day appreciation for those moments when the crises are not happening. That's when I enjoy a cup of tea and I go, "Oh, this is a very nice moment in my day. I cherish this moment." I hope you get many, many of those yourself, and. You have a wonderful day. My thanks to Kiri Salazar for agreeing to share her story. There's a link to her blog page on the page for this episode at SpecialParentsConfidential.com. I'd like to invite you to join this conversation by liking the Facebook page for Special Parents Confidential. You can comment on the episode, share stories, and even suggest ideas for future episodes. Just use the Facebook link on our website. We also have other social media buttons that make it easier for you to share our podcasts on all your favorite social media platforms. And that's it for this episode of Special Parents Confidential. I'm John Pellegrini. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.